Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Silva and Gold. Coming to the ring from parts unknown at a combined weight of 853 pounds, Piccolo and Dr. Zong. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Episode one, Silver and Gold. I am Loaf across the state line or two from me, Dr. Zom. Howdy. How are you, Zom? I'm feeling pretty good. I'm just sitting here in the lap of luxury in the middle of uh, almost heaven, West Virginia. Almost heaven, and I am in the almost middle, heaven. I'm in the middle of white bread, North Carolina. Yeah, vanilla white bread, if you will. Vanilla. So, um, so if any of you guys checked out episode zero, you got a little little taste of what we're going to be offering. We got a hopefully standard type show this week. Uh, we've got a couple films to review. Um, actually, they are chosen for us long, long time ago. By the gentleman's guide, Big Willie Samurai. Um, and uh, they actually got their, well, kind of got their heads together in more ways than one. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and um, picked us a theme, our theme this week. And like I said last week, who knows if we'll stick to this, but it's kind of fun right now anyway. Theme this week, American Idols. Not the singing type, but the big chinned. Muscle man type. We have a Robert Mitchum joint, the Yakuza from. Mitchum's joint. I don't remember what year. Nineteen seventy-four. Seventy-four. I um, guess I'm taking the Sammy role in this relationship, yep. and um, and then another one that I will not remember the year of. I believe a 1989 or so. 89. Hulk Hogan in No Holds Barred. So. uh yeah, American Idols. We got the Rassler, and we got the Mitchum, and uh, we'll talk about that soon. But first, we are going to cover, like we did last week, except obviously a little more uh, abrupt. Not abrupt, a little more tight this week. We like the tight here. Tight. Um, I like, we like it real tight. We like it really tight. Uh, we're going to talk about what we've been watching recently. So, Zom, I will let you lead off there. Well, okay, the first movie that I watched uh, the other day uh, was Long Hot Summer with uh, Paul Newman, uh, Joanne Woodward, uh, Orson Welles, and Lee Remick, Tony Anthony Franciosa. Uh, It's a good movie. It's a uh, classic. I caught it on, uh, I believe, uh, Cinema Cineplex or whatever. I can't remember what that channel is called. But it's a good movie. Uh, you see Paul Newman at his uh, at his uh, best, looking young, looking good. Uh, two ladies that I really, really uh, find to be uh, very, very attractive, if you will. Uh, Lee Remick and uh, Joanne Woodward. 
Uh, next movie, I, I just happened to catch it when I came home the other morning. I remember seeing it for the first time, uh, and I think it was when it first came out uh, on HBO, and it was called Chattahoochee, and uh, it starred uh, Gary Oldman and Dennis Hopper. And back in the day, um, I was a really, really, really big Dennis Hopper fan, and um, I would try and watch just about everything he was in. And I was telling somebody um, that I think it's possible this might have been the first thing I saw Gary Oldman in. Uh, I think it, it may have even been before I saw him in Sid and Nancy. When is this movie from? I've I've not seen this. Oh, let's see. Let me check here real quick, Daddy O. Dead air is never going to be on this show. Oh no, no, no! 1989. So it kind of ties in oh. with the Hollywood Hulk Hogan brother, uh, with No Holds Barred. But uh, Gary Oldman, it it's, uh, takes place in a um, in a mental uh, institution. I think is it Mississippi, Chattahoochee. Uh, and um, uh, it's a real place, and it's a, I think it's a true story. And Gary Oldman uh, is pretty much flawless with his um, his Americana dialect, baby. And Dennis Harper's really good too. Both of those those two guys are just excellent and everything. Uh, Francis McDormand is also in it. Ned Beatty, M. Emmett Walsh, Ooh. some of the uh, people that uh, we all know and love from the GGTMC. But it's a good one. And uh, like I said, I, I, I remember seeing it on HBO. So I don't know if it was one of those uh, one of those original HBO movies or not. But I think it might have been. Um, next movie I saw was uh, Sam Peckinpah's The Killer Elite. Also caught that on the HD on uh, my big TV. And um, I've seen this movie a, a, a gazillion times. Um, it's one of those ones. Some people don't like it. Uh, I do. I I found it a long time ago. If I I had two blank VHS tapes uh, when I bought my first VCR, and um, if I go back and find those two blank VHS tapes right now. One of them has the killer elite on it because I, that was one of the first things I taped off of TV. I had never seen it before. And I was like, Holy shit. This has mercenaries. This has slow motion fighting. This has ninjas, uh, the CIA. It's just got just everything. Lots of machine guns, Uzis and shit. Um, <laughs> but it's not, you know, a, a cheap low budget, uh, ninja Uzi mercenary CIA movie. It's a Sam Peckinpah movie. And I like it. Uh, James Caan, Robert Duvall, uh, and Bo Hopkins for me uh, really stands out in this one. I Lots see, of good people. I want to see Duvall as a ninja. Well, <laughs> Duvall—he was more—he uh, was uh, more than the uh, mercenary. But I, if if we could actually get him as a ninja in a movie here, like uh, made now, he would be the most bow-legged ninja <laughs> of all time. And another thing about Duvall that just recently I can't figure out. Um, you know, Duvall was in, um, uh, the Godfather. He was in, you know, Apocalypse Now. And, and now all of a sudden, Robert Duvall, in every movie he's in, it talks like this. And I, and it seems like after Lonesome Dove, he just, I, I don't, I think he thinks he is Augustus McRae. He does the mushy mouth Texan quite often. Now. He does mushy mouth Texan all the time now. Okay, and moving right along, um, I watched on the recommendation of Rach on film, 
the Australian movie called The Clinic. And um, this movie is a new movie. Um, I'd never heard of either one of the people that are the stars. <laughs> Tabret Bethel and Freya Stand- or Stafford. Um, uh, the chick is hot. Uh, I, I like I liked her, and you got to see a little, uh, you know, got to see some boobage, some boobage. In, in it, and she's she's got some fine boobage, baby. If you know what I'm talking about. But um, um, I watched it, and um, it's sort of a a horror kind of. Uh, it's but it's not just all. It's not like a straight up horror slasher movie. Although there are elements of that in it, right. um, I really liked it, and I'm not a horror fan at all, as we have discussed in episode zero. But um, it was it creeped me the fuck out in a lot of parts, and um, and it and it was not a by the numbers kind of a you know bam bam bam. It's a thinking man's or woman's uh, kind of horror. Um, next movie, uh, I have just a couple more, uh, where, uh, is Adieu Lamy, uh, also known as Farewell Friend or, uh, Honor Among Thieves with Hélène Delon and Charles Bronson. And, uh, this is another favorite that goes back to when I first got a VCR. Uh, we had a, a, um, movie store up on the corner from where I live, probably about a hundred yards away. And I would go up there and just rent everything they had, you know, movies that I had never seen. I was like, Oh my God, there's a Burt Reynolds movie. The man who loves cat dancing. There's a Charles Bronson movie. I've never seen. There's a, you know, and there's all these movies that I had never seen. And I picked this one up. Um, and if I remember, well, I'll tell you, I, I remember it being a really, really, really shitty, uh, cheap ass, um, uh, you know, uh, copy um, of what? Uh, of uh, uh, Honor Among Thieves, oh, uh, um, um, with all of its different names. Farewell, friend. Um, but uh, this is the first movie I ever saw Elaine Delon in, and uh, he is like now one of my favorites of all time. Probably, possibly one of the coolest motherfuckers ever in the history of movies. And then uh, you put in there a young chiseled, you know, Charles Bronson, fucking good movie. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of a heist kind of a movie. And it's got some elements of uh, French, the French Foreign Legion and mercenaries and stuff like that that I'm interested in, and I try and find movies about. Um, you got a lot of... Um, there's a good uh, chemistry, good chemistry between Bronson and Delon, which you also see in the Western uh, Red Sun also starring Toshiro Mifune. I've had um, that for a while. Yeah. It's, have you seen that one? No. It's, it's just fun. It's, it's got a, like a, just an internet. It's one of those um, like late 60s, early 70s movies with a huge international cast. Mm-hmm. You know, Ursula Andrus and you know, Mifune is a samurai coming to, um, the America, uh, to America, to the American West with a, a uh, contingent from Japan. To bring these gifts to the president of the United States or whatever, and of course, uh, hijinks ensues. But it's it's a fun movie, and there's a one particular scene with Bronson and uh, Mifune that is uh, will will keep you chuckling until your nuts rattle like clackers. Um, the next uh, movie 
is uh, one that I recommended to Rach on film from Girls, the Girls on Film podcast. Uh, and that is a movie called Jackson County Jail. And uh, that movie stars uh, Yvette Minou and uh, Tommy Lee Jones. And this is a uh, – it's a it's a, definitely a cult classic, and it's uh, one of those uh, kind of uh, girl, uh, woman in prison, uh, woman in peril, woman on the run, woman, woman rape, this and that kind of a movie. And uh, <laughs> I, I um, recommended that to Rach, and um, I believe she watched it the other day, and her comment was, Tommy Lee Jones was hot as fuck. And she said it with an Australian <laughs> accent. Um, that makes it even better. And uh, the, the one thing I was going to add uh, about uh, you know farewell friend with uh, Delon and uh, Bronson is um, you can find. I think it's a it's actually probably a public domain movie because um, they used to put it out. You'd find it in bargain bins constantly under the name Honor Among Thieves. And of course, they'd have a picture of like Bronson from. 1989 or something like that and the movie was made in like the the early 70s late 60s where he had the puffy face and the and the uh you know kind of longish hair and looked like shit like really old uh and it makes it look like a dirty hairy movie and it's definitely not uh don't get that copy uh if you because they cut a shitload out too and it's a really really shitty copy um find other means I'm doing the quotes with my fingers and the exclamation point with my penis right now. Uh, I'm find hoping other, hold that up too. Yes, hold that up. Okay. Uh, <laughs> find a really good copy. And uh, I have two copies, one that's one that's completely dubbed um, and one that is not dubbed uh, um, that has subtitles. And both of them are excellent. Uh, I think uh, a lot of our our people – will like it our ilk uh, our ilk our our our, our brood um, two other things that i'm just going to add that aren't uh, that don't have anything to do with uh, as much with movies one of them kind of does uh, i watched uh, i'm going to champion this show again until people watch it because it's funnier than fuck is the show louie on fx i watched two new episodes they had a marathon on yesterday and um uh, if you haven't seen it, watch the masturbating episode. It's fucking funny. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, um, and then the next episode, you know, I, I've watched almost all these episodes of this show, and every one of them has me like rolling on the floor, pissing myself laughing. And the 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 last episode they showed, it was like kind of like Mash, where Mash was funny all the time, and then they had like serious stuff. Right. And they had this one episode, and I was kind of like, Jesus Christ, <laughs> you know, it was kind of sad. Um, and the other thing I caught, which will interest the loaf, uh, was as I was flipping channels last night on my day off, uh, laying in my underwear, eating uh, rice and chicken, all smeared all over in my chest hair, you know, pre- pre- contemplating the rafters and if they would hold my weight if I decided to <laughs> try some autoerotic asphyxia. Um, I watched – I turned on uh, TNA Wrestling. <laughs> and this, and this uh, actually made me want to, um, to just for, forget about the masturbation and the autoerotic asphyxia and just go for the, the hanging itself because it was so fucking bad. Um, <laughs> And this is the thing that ties in with the uh, with uh, cinema. Uh, the character known as Sting, played by Steve Borden, 
uh, was in the ring going off on a God, what seemed like an endless 15 minute rant about Hulk Hogan, brother, who we're talking about this week. Rip him. Um, and he, Ooh. Ooh, yeah, rip him. Um, he has um, his face painted now like Heath Ledger from uh, the Batman movie. Oh. And he's almost trying to do a Joker kind of like character to the Sting character. In the 90s, it was the Crow. Now we got oh, the Joker. Oh, my God. They're so devoid of um, creativity. You know, it's just like, hey, there's a movie out. Let's let's uh, let's make this into wrestling. Then we won't have to think. So it sucked. And and if I mean, if you watch this stuff, and I I, I never thought I would say this because I'm such a big wrestling fan, baby. Uh, because I watched um, uh, Southern Born, Southern Bred Wrestling, as you can tell from our intro music with uh, the Freebirds singing Bad Street. Um, this sucks. It sucks, and I, maybe I, people accuse me of getting old, and well, you grew out of it or whatever. No, this fucking sucks. It, because it's hard I can, to watch. It's hard to watch now. It's um, yeah. it's just it, it sucks. There's a lot of talent, and it's a lot of it's really wasted on yeah. the fact that well, one, especially with TNA now, they're really guilty of it. The um, letting the old dudes come in and kind of run the show still. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know if it's still the case. Kevin Nash kind of was infecting TNA. Mm-hmm. Now again. it's Hogan and Bischoff. All right. Yeah. I mean, just like, just like you know, last week I was saying I watched the Rise and Fall of WCW, and it really covered about how Nash came in and um, his creative influence and all his kind of cronies really led yeah. to you know the problems they had, mm-hmm. and um, that, um, I, and I know that he got to that level again in TNA. I don't know if he's still there, but I think that he just re- or in the past, uh, maybe few months they got rid of him. Ah, uh, Okay. But, um, as Louis CK would say, this, this show sucks a big bag of cocks, big bag of dicks, um, a whole big bag of dicks, you know, just like a big, <laughs> a big, like if you go to Walmart and you get like one of those plastic bags that has the handles and you're holding that the handles with both hands, this this is a huge bag of dicks, and it's just like they're just so heavy; it's almost like ready to bust through. There's some so, condensation on the bag. Yeah, I I give this show a chance every once in about six months, and every single time I just I watch about five minutes of it, and I'm like, I can't waste fucking time on this. Mm. I have no holds barred and the yakuza to watch. <laughs> oh yeah, I guess I did too. But it really has been a few months since I actually watched it. <clears throat> and, you know, let me tell you something. I was fucking feeling so goddamn guilty this morning because I was like, Jesus Christ! I had yesterday off. I should have sat down and watched both those fucking movies. Loaf's gonna have to carry the whole fucking shebang. I'm gonna fucking look like a, a fucking dunce because I'm not gonna remember shit. And then I find out, brother. Let me tell you something, brother. Do you think that Brutus Beefcake would let down the Hulkster like this? <laughs> I am now – what was it? The Zodiac. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. Zodiac, not Brutus the Barber. So I, I, all I have is my face painted and sit here silently and awkwardly. Yes. And I'll turn it over to you for what you have been watching. All righty. Um, I had kind of a busy week, actually. I um, in, in real world, outside of podcast world, I um, actually started a new position at one of my jobs, and so I've yeah. been, been working doubles all week, kind of retraining for this new position, and blah blah blah. So I didn't leave a lot of movie watching time, but I got a few in. Um, first was uh, Ip Man Two, mm. 
Um, I really like the first one, and I did not really like the second one. Uh-huh. There's some really good stuff going on in it, and I will say that a face-off with Donnie Yen and Sammo Hung is a quite an erection-inducing scene. Yes. Have you have you seen It Man two? I have not seen okay. It Man one. Oh, okay. now th- this is uh, now just uh, just to clarify because I'm a huge uh, or was a huge Bruce Lee fan. This is like a uh, kind of a uh, fictional sort of version of his the guy who trained him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The this okay. is very it's it's very fictional. It even gets more so in this movie. Right. And, and but it, not, I've heard nothing but good things about the first one. Right. And it is really good and I, uh, the first one dramatically speaking is good. This one mm-hmm. goes a little farther with the creative license. Uh there's just the, the a big problem I had with it there's these English, I guess British actors in it and mm-hmm. their acting is fucking hideous. It is wow. uh, really took me out of it and the only thing I could figure out, my my wife kept looking in the door as a as, whenever they would talk, like rolling her eyes, like what is going on? Because <laughs> you don't even have to see them to know that their acting is really bad. And the only thing I could figure out is since this is really made for a Chinese audience, is that well, this Chinese audience, Hong Kong audience, whatever, they might know English, so these guys might enunciate and draw out their speech to make it easy to understand. Right. Um. It's it's like that. It's like yes, I am the best. Kind of uh, really terrible. Well, that's um, how I usually say that when I'm saying that I'm the best. Well, yeah. I mean, usually I'm at work. I'm like, excuse me, I must go take a poop. <laughs> so, um, yeah, yeah, not a great, great film. Probably like a six and a half out of ten for me. Where the first one was like a eight or eight or higher. So, mm. um, let's see. I watched. Uh, um, after listening to the Gentleman's Guide episode, actually, I listened, I watched Chunking Express, and um, never seen this before. It's um, I've had it for eons, mm-hmm. probably because – maybe even because Will told me a couple of years ago that I should see it. But um, it uh, – this is the Wong Kar Wai 1994 uh, film. It's, um, it's really good. It's um, not what I expected, and like Sammy was saying on the Gentleman's Guide review of it. Mm-hmm. He was expecting one thing. He was expecting more like a crime drama kind of thing. And this is really kind of a really s- sweet double love story and kind of about fate and all that kind of stuff. And I'm a dumbass. And just from the name, judging a book by its cover, I thought it was took place on a train. So, well, <laughs> when you say when you say sweet uh, double love story, um, this is it based on Sammy and Will. Yeah, well, no, yeah, that would be a sweet double penetration love story. Ah, yes. This, this is just two, two almost near related love stories that have a brief passing. So, um, it's really good. I, I you, you, everybody needs to check it out. So, um, I don't know. I don't love it as much as Will, um, but it's super, super good though. Double, pe- you don't love double penetration as much as well. ah, I'm torn on that. I'm st- I'm still uh, I'm still, Ooh, still training well, myself. Oh, I'm torn on <laughs> <laughs> that. Might be why you don't love it so much. Right? Yes, okay. I'm still training myself. So there you go. Um, next, I watched uh, the the remake of the Crazies. Ah, um, I saw that. I, it was uh, better. Than, I guess better than I thought it was going to be. But that said, I did not like the first one. Uh, I didn't. Oh, I did not like the Romero version of it. The the Romero crazies had some really cool elements, but was ultimately a little kind of a messy film for me. 
Yep. Uh, this, the crazies was, um, it was more popcorn fare, but not offensive. Like I thought it was solid. I, I'd, I'd, I'd recommend it if, um, you guys like, uh, you know, near apocalyptic style stories and, um, well, I, I never saw the first one, so okay. I didn't have anything to go by. And like I said, I'm not a horror fan. I'm an Oliphant fan, mm-hmm. and that's one of the reasons that I, I wanted to watch it. But a lot of times how I judge um, horror, 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 because I'm not a, a fan of it is um, if I, I usually watch them with my friends because I won't pick one out. They'll pick they'll pick it out, and then I'll sit there and watch it with them. And um, And they're not like big – cinephiles like uh, they wouldn't know that this was a remake or anything but they watch movies but mostly new stuff sure. and they all enjoyed the the one with oliphant they really yeah. all and, and i did too i i like i said uh, for me to um i, I was just entertained by it yeah. i didn't think it was like the my friend randy was uh he he had a few scary moments but it's very fun watching uh horror movies with him because uh he 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 definitely uh gets on the edge of his seat so i i liked it <laughs> Yeah, I thought. I mean, it was, at the very least, it's better than the Romero. I, I wish they would incorporate would have incorporated some of the uh, mood stuff from the um, Romero thing. Like the um, there's a lot of like radio and static and stuff like that from the first one, where you just kind of hear things happening, which I really I really mm-hmm. think is effective in this type of movie. And they do it a little bit, but um, it really focuses more on the uh, the um, the main characters and uh, that are citizens in this little town as opposed to the Romero version that more focused on the, the government process and dealing with the whole situation. So, um, and, uh, I watched, uh, the game of death. Speaking of Bruce Lee, um, I I was, I was certain that I had seen this movie before and watching, I'm like, Holy shit. I don't remember this. Like some of the, some of the ways they plugged him in because he, Died in the yeah. middle. I guess in the middle of making this because they they stopped making this to make um, to make uh, Enter the Dragon, and then came back. He died after that, and then you know they came back and uh, Robert Klaus, the director of um, Enter the Dragon, also directed this. He kind of he used a separate actor and some stock footage, I guess, of Bruce Lee. And yeah. so I, I guess all I had seen actually are the fighting scenes, like the Kareem Abdul Jabbar fight, that yeah. people have probably. The giant footprint on his chest. Yes. Uh, There's some really bad stuff in here, like even with the actor sitting there and it looked like a paper cutout of Bruce Lee's face just floating over (laughs) his his face. It was some really awkward moments like that. Um, It's worth seeing, I guess, alone just for Bruce Lee being probably the only actor ever to have his own funeral in a movie of his. Mm. Um, That was kind of weird, but... uh, I don't know. It's it's not a very good movie, but if you're a Bruce Lee completist, it's definitely yeah. worth seeing for history's sake. So, and um, then I this today, right before we recorded, I watched Rise of the Planet of the Apes in the theater. Oh. And let me say, I'm jealous. If you like the sci-fi, if you like the, I guess, slightly heady summer movie, this is this is one for you. It doesn't get a lot into the science aspect it keeps it all pretty pretty i guess safe for uh for all for multiple audiences um it's rated pg-13 it doesn't need to be higher than that it's, the the violence in it is 
is suitable for the subject matter, and um, it's a it's a smart film. I liked it a lot. Uh, nice. It's definitely worth checking out, and I'm I'm excited about the they leave, they leave it wide open for a sequel. And oh yeah, uh, I don't know that it's I don't know that it's uh, they're making a sequel. I assume so, but this only is, if they can get James Franciscus right. The um, it's 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 really good. It's really good. I definitely suggest uh, everybody go check that one out. I will be seeing it Sunday shortly. So, so yeah, that was it for me. Um, anything else from you, Zom? Um, not really. Right. Uh, listening to a lot of Cat Stevens. Cat That's about it. Stevens. So uh, a little musical music review here. Uh, just listen to a lot of a uh, lot of good stuff. Yeah, a lot so, of cat. A lot of cat. So uh, or Yusuf Islam. <laughs> I'm sorry, cat. I just can't get over it, baby. You're Greek, baby. You know, get on it. <laughs> All right, so uh, we're going to take a quick break, and um, I guess we'll come back, and let's let's do the, the Yakuza first. Okay. So we'll be right back. Hey, everyone. This is Coffin John of V-Cinema, the site that covers Asian film from cult to the classics. Join Josh of VariedCelluloid.net, Rufus of CineAwesome.com, and me on the V-Cinema show a podcast that features Asian film discussions, special guests, interviews, and live event coverage. Our podcast is published bi-weekly on Mondays. So check us out on vcinemashow.com or search us out on iTunes. Also join the discussion and fun by following us on Twitter at vcinemashow and joining us on our Facebook page, which is located at facebook.com slash V Cinema. And of course check out our blog at vcinemashow.com for reviews, features, and interviews. little break there and um zom and i are both very big in japan oh yeah so our, our first film this week uh is the yakuza oh playing some extra music there uh it is not the end of the show so ignore that beat um so uh zom i'll let you uh synopsize and we'll get started on the yakuza all right, this is the Yakuza from 1974. Harry Kilmer returns to Japan after several years in order to rescue his friend George's kidnapped daughter and ends up on the wrong side of the Yakuza, the notorious Japanese mafia. Awesome. So um, Zom is actually going to take the lead on this too. He's seen this a little more recently and a little more behind the scenes for us. I uh we we've been trying to get this show started i guess since february and uh 
actually decided what we were going to review in our first episode back then. And I've watched it twice now for the show. But the last time that I watched it was, I guess, in May or so. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm nice. relying on my notes here. And um, I've, so I've seen it three times now. So hopefully I can uh, at least sound moderately intelligent when I speak of it. So, But uh, we'll let Zom take the lead here. Okay. Um, this is, uh, what, you know, like I said, 1974, uh, Robert Mitchum. Um, and of course, uh, the year before is when they did, uh, one of our perennial favorites, the friends of Eddie Coyle. And I was just thinking about this before, you know, we were going to do the show. I think that this, you know, Mitchum was around forever, uh, which is great. Uh, but this period of time with these two movies, um, I think he was at his best. Um, he um, was older, but not you know over the hill. Uh, not, he's not puffy faced. Not puffy fit. Not puffy faced. Bronson. It, you know, it uh, should be said. Sorry, I forgot to mention this. This was actually Will's choice for us to review. Um, I, I totally forgot to mention that. So sorry. Yes, Go ahead. and thank you, Will. Um, it's uh, but uh, at this time. Mitchum was uh, still, you know, mus macho, uh, very, very, very mus macho. Um, but uh, he still had those dreamy eyes that all the ladies loved. And uh, you could still see him playing uh, not only the tough guy role, but also, uh, you know, a kind of a, a ladies man. Uh, not a, not, not. As much a ladies' man, but you could still see, you know, that the that the broads would still go for for Mitchum. Sure. Um, I like this movie, of course, uh, because uh, one, it came on the recommendation of my mom. Nice. <laughs> um, when I first watched this, I told my mom, uh, you know, I said, "Oh, I saw this movie," and you know, or she, I, she might have even came in the room when I was watching it, and she said, "Oh, I remember seeing this," and I guess she had seen it in the theater when it, you know when it first came out when I was probably about uh, nine years old, and um, so that really got over with me because uh, a lot of movies that you know you would think, especially you know with the movies out today, you know, whether they're martial arts movies or Yakuza movies, uh, you would think they're just strictly for guys, strictly based for guys, action movies, whatever. Well, this had those elements, you know, that a guy would would really like and that would get over with guys with a lot of, you know, swords and gunplay, and, but not overdone. Right. It's, it's an, an intelligent uh, neo-noir kind of a movie. Um, I I love the cast. Um, uh, Brian Keith, you know, he was in a lot of. Um, he plays Mitchum's friend whose daughter gets kidnapped, and um, Brian Keith was in a lot of um, westerns and movies in like the in the the fifties and sixties. Mm-hmm. But most people that remember him would remember him from the. the they had a TV show called the uh, uh, Family Affair, where he played Uncle Bill. Mm-hmm. And um, his brother, I think his brother's kids died, and um, they came to st- – three of them, and they came to stay with him and his manservant, Sebastian Cabot. <laughs> uh, but um, but he's, a, he's a pretty good actor, grizzled kind of a guy too, you know, uh, but he was always – uh, you know, had a charisma and a likable guy. But nobody really can out-charisma Mitchum. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, so Mitchum gets, gets a, uh, you know uh, – 
hasn't seen Brian Keith in forever. And they were, had been MPs in, uh, uh, you know, post world war two Japan and were like best, best friends. And they hadn't seen each other in a long time. Their, their, um, lives had went different ways. I think Mitchum had become a cop, uh, detective and, um, uh, Brian Keith's character, Tanner had, um, went on to become a businessman and he still had dealings with, you know, Japan, uh, and, uh, business dealings over there. And that's what leads his daughter to getting kidnapped. Right. So he calls on his old friend, Harry Kilmer. And he says, Hey dude, you know, come on, uh, for old time's sake, uh, can you help me out? Because the Yakuza have kidnapped my daughter over this, um, this business deal. And, um, you know, they're, they're threatening to kill her or whatever. And Mitchum is he, – he is almost like a, um, a an American kind of version of a samurai because he ha- he does have the, his um, like code of eth- ethics. Right. And um, um, this is an old friend who they've been, they've been through hell and back together in the war. And, um, and he's like, you know, I, you know how can I you know, turn my friend down? I, I have to help him out. It's, it's got to be said that um, you know Paul Schrader's story here is just like mm-hmm. I, I really like the um, I guess the comparison and contrast of this I guess American underworld as in a, in comparison to the Japanese the right. underworld and you know how different ideas of honor different ideas of you know what you owe someone if such and such happens and um, it's it's amazing. To uh, to think that Schrader that um, he an, an American understands and just gets this balance between these two cultures so well that uh, that you can see the in, in another example I guess it would be like Mishima Life in Four Chapters that Schrader did this mm-hmm. guy's this guy's resume is unbelievable but. Um, his understanding of the Japanese culture and stuff is just, is, is, it's remarkable. And there's certain ones that there's certain moments where you would bet you would not know that it was an American writer that had right. come up with the story. It, it seems like an Asian story. Well, and, and, and it would have been so easy, especially in Hollywood to go for the fish out of water kind of a story sure. where Mitchum, like Joe Don Baker or something would go over and, you know, what's this? We're all fish, <laughs> you know, and he doesn't understand anything, <laughs> but it's nothing like that at all. Um, you know, Mitchum had, had lived there before and he understands the culture, but the thing is, it's, it's very subtle, even though, um, he has lived there, and he he has a concept of of how things are and how things are expected over there. He's still an outsider, and he'll never be. He'll always be a gaijin. He'll never mm-hmm. uh, be uh, a part of that. And but the the thing is, though there are so many differences between these these two guys, um, uh, Takakura Ken or Ken Takakura um, and Mitchum. They're so very much alike, right? You know? So it's like on the on the on the surface, Tanaka is you know this Tanaka is a guy that um, that Harry Kilmer, Robert Mitchum's character, had a has a past with, and I, we won't go too much into what this past is because it's a right. it's we, a plot point, and it's, it's yeah a we don't great, want to spoil it. It's, it's a great like interaction between the two, but Tanaka on the surface is one extreme. He's the the silent 
swordsman Japan style. Tanner, Robert Mitchum's other friend. Ugly American. He is. He's the, he's the American. He's the crime guy. He's, you know, kind of sleazy. And then Mitchum is kind of right in the middle. He's like a former cop, but he's, he, he doesn't seem to have a problem with getting, getting his hands dirty, doing, doing some less than uh, – like doing some little shady things. But at the same time, he understands the honor. He understands you know, how all that works on the other side too. And you have, um, you have as they set up the, the story, uh, a re-tag-teaming re, um, of Robert Mitchum and uh, Richard Jordan – uh, they had starred together a year before in Friends of Eddie Coyle, right. and now um, uh, Brian Keith's character Tanner says, "You know, I'm going to send my guy Dusty with you, who's mm-hmm. a, who's a uh, a young. Uh, if you looked at it, kind of like they're like almost like a young mercenary kind of a guy, uh, and and he goes along. It's kind of a he's not that's another thing they could have went for you know him being the overly cocky guy right. and Mitchum being the you know the old sage and the guy won't listen but then they come to respect each other it's not like that he he it's more subtle and he is a young guy and everything but you can tell he he uh has a he has and develops a respect for for Mitchum yeah and his and, his, his character is uh it's a good i guess plot device to kind of get some Things explained to the audience, you know, right, the fact right. that he has never been there and doesn't understand this stuff lets us learn along with him yeah. about, well, like one of my notes I, I took about the, um, they're, they're sitting in a car and talking about uh, obligation. Giri is the word they use. Mm. And um, it, in Japan, it translates as burden. And um, it, it's it's fun. The, the interaction there, it's like Mitchum is telling him how the Japanese would see this term Giri. But then, you know, Dusty has he says to uh, he says to Harry, you know, if you ain't if you ain't alive tomorrow, he does he don't owe you shit. So right. it's like that's you know bringing us back to the American side of it and keeping that balance alive. So, which in some ways, with with all the with all the talk of honor and things like that, the uh, yakuza. Um, <sighs> It's almost like they talk almost like a Bushido kind of like a samurai like idea of honor mm-hmm. and and everything. But when it comes right down to it, they are criminals, and um, they are basically the Japanese mafia. And when you say how uh, Dusty, who was Richard Jordan, uh, his concept of how he was seeing things. It was. It's almost like the Italian mafia in America, where they would talk about honor. We're, not, you know, we're not going to sell drugs. I don't, if we're going to, we're not going to sell drugs. That's mm-hmm. forbidden. But if we are going to sell drugs, we're not going to sell them within such and such feet of a school, right. and we're only going to sell them to blacks because let them lose their souls. You know. So the the yakuza they might uh, have a concept of this honor, but. Uh, what a, in reality, they're still about greed. They're still about making money, and they're still just as cutthroat as, say, the American mafia is. Right. And I see Ken's character um, as being – because he had been um, – and, and let's just say he is um, the brother of uh, – Mitchum goes over to back over to Japan, and the first thing he wants to do is go see his former love. Right, uh, and she uh, um, 
he had helped her out after the war. Everything was really crappy over there at the time and every, because of the war. And um, he helped her and her daughter out and he set them up with, with this uh, – it's like a, like a big uh, – like a coffee shop, restaurant kind of a deal. Yeah. They called Kilmer House and she kept the name, you know, Kilmer House. And it was, it was really kind of almost like a touching thing the first time Mitchum walks in the door because he hasn't been there in like, you know, since 19 probably – Maybe 50 or so, yeah. 1950, and, and it's 25 years later, and he walks in, and she's cleaning up, and she glances up, and she says, you know, we're closed, and he just stands there. And she looks up, and she sees him, and it's almost like uh, I'm sure everybody has had this happen where you see somebody, and just out of context right at first because you haven't seen him in a long time, you don't recognize him, and then you're st- you never take your eyes off of him. But the fog clears, mm-hmm. and she realizes this is like the love of her life, and um, so then they have their their uh, their talk and everything, and um, he she um, never would marry Harry uh, because when her, her brother had been uh, on an island in you know during the war, and even after the war was over, there was a lot of Japanese soldiers that were stranded left on these islands. Half the time, they didn't even know the war was over. And so then he came back, and when he found out that she had hooked up with this guy, Jean, uh, he was pretty pissed. And he kind of basically almost disowned her. uh, And um, because of that um, disrespect and everything, uh, he hated Harry. Yeah. This is Tanaka we're talking about. Right, yeah. And um, so because – it's almost like he, he hates him, but it's like it's like a, a dual thing because he hates him, but he also uh, owes a debt of honor to him because he basically saved, you know, this woman and, life, yeah. And, he yeah, and her, her and the daughter because the daughter had been um, she was die you know really sick and she was going to die and Harry had connections. <laughs> excuse me on the black market and he got penicillin and everything and he and he basically saved her life saved both their lives and set them up you know so um he uh but um tanaka had had been a you know pretty powerful uh yakuza but he had stepped away from it he had right. gotten out of it he had walked away from it and so he's completely out of it and everything and um but mitchum because he needs those connections to find out where Tanner's kid is, um, he he reluctantly goes to Tanaka, and uh, this is a scene that was replayed uh, in the movie uh, Black Rain with Michael Douglas and uh, Andy Garcia right. and uh, uh, Ken uh, Takura Takakura. I'm sorry. Um, they in the um, the kendo. Uh, dojo um he goes uh kilmer goes to the kendo you know dojo and they're there it's a, just a really cool thing uh you know pollock uh shot this because it's, a, it's an amazing thing to watch it's almost like uh medieval knights in armor and they have these kendo sticks and all this you know the stuff they go through uh you know in these you know mock battles right uh, really cool, and like I said, when I saw that, I was like, "Yeah, I remember they 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 did that in Black Rain too with Michael Douglas and uh, and uh, you know uh, Takakura Ken." Um, so he goes and asks him. He says, "You know, hey, dude, uh, <laughs> I know you hate my guts, but uh, uh, 
I, I need your help. And he can't refuse because this, the way that their, their system of honor works, uh, he owes him for the rest of his life. Anything right. he asks Harry Kilmer, anything Harry Kilmer asks Tanaka, uh, Tanaka will do be, because he owes him the lives of the woman and the kid. Mm-hmm. And so they, they go and, uh, you know, like I said, this movie, it has just enough action and just enough violence yeah. uh, to really, you know, it's uh, and and it's not done in a cheesy, shitty way. Right. There was one part where, and this, of course, is 1974, so you didn't have CGI and you didn't have like really great um, um, special effects. But uh, one part where a guy's arm gets cut off, and you know, it's kind of like okay, you know, that was that was a little bit not cheesy, but you know, uh, but most of the action and the violence is done. In a realistic way. Yeah, I, I really liked that. I actually had a note about the uh, flying chopped off arm because I, <laughs> I, I, I was commenting on – I really liked how Pollock shot the, um, the the violence or the action sequences in this film. It's, it's, they're exciting even though most of them happen in very small rooms. They're still filmed right. very well. You, you never are really confused about what's going on. And um, he does a nice job you know, building the tension with these different – different battles and very low angles we get with, with a lot of like the sword fighting and, right. and stuff like that. And then, uh, but yeah, I, I actually did like the, um, <laughs> the gun firing while the flying chopped off handles. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. That, it, it was a little bit, it was a little bit, you know, kind of, but I can see back then, you know, we're used, we're used to uh, CGI and we're used yeah. to uh, special effects that make things look so real. You're like, Holy shit. But back then, you know, uh, even when we were talking about the planet of the apes before, uh, with the special effects back then, when they when they were doing everything with just makeup, I remember seeing those movies at that time. And probably, if I would have seen this in '74 instead of like '84, which was when I probably really saw it first right. for the first time, um, seeing you know a guy's arm get severed like that, I'm sure back then because people weren't used to seeing that, there was probably some people in the crowd that were like, "Oh my god," you know, yeah. oh, especially uh, for a major, I, I assume, majorly released film. Right? Yeah, yeah, and. Um, they they introduce a um, another character uh, who is Ken's brother. Uh, is it Goro? Yeah, Goro. Um, and he um, is a when Mitchum when Mitchum and uh, Tanaka go to uh, rescue the kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a big dust up, you know, at first it's kind of like a, a Mexican standoff, which is funny to say, considering it's in Japan. Uh, and of course some things happen and, um, and you have the severed arm and, and because Tanaka has been out of it, he was going to lead them there, Dusty and Mitchum. And then he was going to stay out of it. He right. didn't want to be seen or anything cause he didn't want to get drawn back in. But because of circumstances, you know, he has to, uh, have an act of violence. He's seen. And now the Yakuza are like, okay, fucker, you know, you, you were out of it and now you're sticking your snoot back into our business and we're going to, we're coming after you. So this leads uh, them to think, you know, okay, uh, Mitchum and Dusty are like, okay, we did what we came here to do. We got Tanner's kid and everything. Let's get the fuck out of here. And then they're kind of like, you know, but the Yakuza are going to come after Tanaka now. And more than likely his family. And, you know, so can we really just leave? So they go to uh, 
Tanaka's brother, Goro, and uh, he is still involved in the Yakuza. He's like a – he would be like the Tom Hayden uh, or Hagen uh, from um, – the Godfather, like uh, consigliere or whatever. Right. He and tells him. He says, "Okay." Um, he goes and he tries to uh, to smooth things over, but you know they can't. So he basically comes back and he says, "You know, the only way that you're going to um, to to get out of this is by um, killing, um, oh, what's his name, Tono." And Tono is the guy that uh, is butting heads with Tanner. Over uh, like a, a a really shady gun deal, right? Because um, uh, Tanner is a businessman, but he's still you know like I said when he was in Japan and he was an MP, he was kind of involved in the black market, and it seems that maybe he's still you know kind of doing some sh- shady stuff. And um, they end up going to uh, Tanaka's brother, who's still involved in the you know yakuza, and he's a uh, consigliere basically. Um, for the Yakuza, he tries to kind of smooth things over, and basically when he comes back, he says, you know, it's no go. Um, this guy, Goro, uh, is – he's not going to be reasoned with, and the only way – he goes, you're my brother, and the only way that this is going to end is, you know, uh, in violence. And so basically there's a lot of stuff that goes on. Um, I know we, t- we talked about, you know, some of the – some of the lead up and everything. Uh, but there's a lot of stuff uh, that goes on toward the end of this movie uh, that we really don't want to go into yeah. uh, because we want people to, to seek this out and to give it a watch. And it is available on, you know, DVD for a long time. Like, uh, like uh, sons of Eddie Coyle or friends, sons of Eddie Coyle, friends of Eddie Coyle wasn't available. And it is now uh, you could have picked it up on VHS, but uh, yeah, find this movie. Um, it's really good. Um, yeah, the um, back to the Goro character really quick. The um, where we were saying earlier that uh, Dusty was kind of a uh, a way to explain certain things to the audience. Mm-hmm. Um, what was cool about that character is he was kind of the Japanese Dusty, and right, uh, right. He he wasn't coming in with with a, no knowledge like Dusty, but he was a, a way for us to see the other side too. So Dusty mm-hmm. was saying, "Well, yeah, the Japanese stuff may be this, but." You know, there's this American side too, and then the other way around, where, you know, well, it's it's a lot. It's it's a lot. Like I said, there's a lot of comparison between this and Black Rain with Michael Douglas, Andy Garcia, and uh, Tucker Kurokin, um, because in that movie um, you had the old school yakuza who were, you know, and, and like I said, it all a lot of it ties into uh, the Godfather and American Mafia movies. You had the old school. Uh, uh, mafia guys who, you know, supposedly believed in all this, you know, code of conduct and honor and everything. And then, like in Black Rain, you had those young, uh, the young gangsters coming along that were more like the, you know, the Bloods and the Crips kind of gangsters over here. And they they were just like, hey, this is all bullshit. Right. You know, we're out for ourselves, and you guys are just in the way. And and it's kind of like that. Um, this movie was directed by Sidney Pollock. And, uh, you know, I know a lot of times um, I've heard on uh, The Gentleman's Guide uh, several people say that, you know, Pollock actually – they thought he was a better actor than he was a director. Uh, This is uh, one of those movies that um, I think really shows his chops as far as being a director. Um, There were some really cool scenes. Um, 
I like the way that he shot. Um, there was one scene with uh, with uh, Mitchum in a bathhouse, and not that kind of bathhouse. <laughs> uh, that uh, and, and the way he shoots uh, shoots it. I mean, like I said, it it it. You know, the story. This this could easily have been in the hands of another uh, another director. Could have easily been just a cheesy, you know, action movie. Yeah. Uh, and I think Pollock and Schrader both, um, and, and, you know, like I said, it's, it's a great cast. It's not, you know, these aren't, uh, you know, just, you know, guys that they threw together, like, you know, maybe, and I'm not putting down Stallone or somebody like that, but, um, if they made it today, that's probably how they would make it. Right. It would be like Stallone and, uh, you know, Jason Statham and, Ugh. and, uh, the guys like that. <laughs> but, um, this this is a, an intelligent movie and it's a classic. I mean, it, when it first came out, um, for some reason, I don't know if it's because of how it was marketed or if because people didn't, uh, you know, they see the title and they think, okay, what's this? You know, uh, it, it didn't it didn't really get over, and it's through the years of you know people picking it up and watching it that it's become a, a not just a cult classic, but you know, just a classic in general. Yeah. Um, that's about all I have for yeah, the Yakuza. We've, we've, we've touched on most of what I would have talked yeah. about as well. Um, I did really like, you know, you were talking about, um, you know, certain, I guess, exciting scenes. And there's a, there's a scene where Tanaka's shirt kind of gets ripped and mm, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a really cool, like reveal of the, mm. you know, his Yakuza, Yakuza back piece. And it's, it's kind of incomplete compared yeah. to everyone else's. And it's real telling of, you know, his role. In that he never quite made it all the way. He's kind of, kind of like, I guess, disenchanted with that whole lifestyle and does his own thing. And yeah, to me, it was almost like he was more samurai because they talked the talk, but when it came down to it, they were just kind of scummy and they were criminals. Yeah. And he was more the guy that re- really wanted to walk the walk. And that's when you saw him in the in the kendo studio or dojo. Um, you know, he was the guy that if if it would have been you know a hundred years before or whatever, he would have been in the you know Seven Samurai or sure. uh, he would have been the San, Sanjuro or or you know a guy like that, uh, you know an actual samurai. Um, once uh, this this is just something every time I watch this movie um, because you know you spoke of. Uh, of um, the low shots and and how you know because the ceilings over there are, are, are really low. I know yeah. a lot of the wrestlers when they talk about going over there and these guys are like six foot three, six foot four, six foot nine, and they say when they go over there, you know everything's so much shorter and smaller, the ceilings and everything. And there's a scene, a, a fight scene uh, with uh, Mitchum, and to me, I always think this every time I see it that Mitchum looks like Godzilla. <laughs> you know, stomping, stomping on Tokyo. I mean, because they're in these rooms, you know, and the walls are like, you know, the paper walls and everything, and the ceiling's real low and everything. And he's like six foot four, and he just looks like a, a huge monster, you know, just we just kicking some ass, you know. And it was, it's really cool to watch Mitchum in this, uh, you know, stomp some, stomp some ass. Yeah, and but I, you know what? I like Mitchum's, I like Mitchum's tired because there's, yeah. there's certain times in this where he looks very tired. And yeah, he does and a even, good, good tired. Even in the uh, in other movies, like I said, other action movies, you know, you you wouldn't normally see this, but you see Mitchum, you know, like they're going through and they're they're having a battle, and he's like, <sighs> you know, it, which I mean, that's just the way things would be. It's it's more realistic. Sure. Now, 
um, just to bring this up, and and uh, we might get some feedback on this, maybe if somebody, if uh, the person I'm talking to listens to this, uh, I listened to um, V Cinema uh, and Coffin John. I, I know that I've heard him uh, talk about this movie, and he's a big fan of uh, Yakuza movies, and he's not a big fan of this movie. Hmm. And I'm I, I'm not sure if it's because I think maybe it's because he feels maybe that it's too westernized. Or I'm not sure. So I mean, uh, if if uh, I'd, I, you know, if I can maybe talk to him or something and get a little feedback on that. But I just remember hearing because I was like, man, I love that movie; it's really cool. And then I thought, you know, he would be down with it, but he's not. Hmm. I wonder. Uh, I, I wonder if it is because there's that western slant to yeah, it. Yeah. You know? Probably. I, I think that probably has more to do with it. Uh, than than anything because I don't think he thinks it's a a shitty movie. Well, there's that, and the, the, he's also uh, very un-American and racist. So right, 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 right. <laughs> <laughs> so okay. um, well, I don't have a lot else to add myself. I mean, we, we we've touched on most of the stuff. It's it's a it's a very solid, if not great movie. Um, I watched it right around the the first time I watched it was right around when I watched Eddie Coyle and. I even said on the Gentleman's Guide that I preferred the Yakuza 2 Eddie Coyle. I don't know if that's the case now, but um, – Well, I think I, I think I posed the question. And I can't remember, but you know, every once in a while something will hit me and I'll be like, okay, I'm going to put this as a question on Facebook. Which do you prefer, this or that? And uh, I, I have a hard time choosing between the two because I think they're both great. Yeah, and, uh, but I know some people that are huge fans of Eddie Coyle that that are like, "Are you out of your fucking mind? It's nowhere near as good." Blah 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 blah. And you know what? They're wrong as usual. You know because <laughs> because when it comes right down to it, you know there's no you know it's subjective and um, and they're wrong anyway because I'm always right. Yeah, well I I can agree with that. that there you go. Some is always right. So. Um, we're still kind of working out how we're going to score films. I guess uh, we've kind of, we've kind of already talked about what we liked about them. So, um, what would you say uh, you would, I guess, rank this one? Yeah, because we haven't thought about it too much. Um, I would give this maybe like a if you know ten is good and one is bad. Uh, because I, I would say if ten is the best, then ten is almost pretty much unattainable. Um, I would give it about an eight. Maybe eight point five, but I, yeah, I'd say I'd say an eight. Cool, and uh, yeah, for me, you know, it's a it's solidly directed, um, excellent story. Just the the Schrader story is, um, and I think I've talked about this on Gentleman's Guide. Schrader has a he's a, such an interesting guy in that he didn't really even start watching movies. I think until he was an adult, pretty much, and. Um, the stuff that he started churning out in the seventies and on was pretty incredible. But, uh, that's, um, definitely my favorite part of it is just the, the characterization, the story itself. And, um, I also, um, I'd say I'd give this movie an 8.25 out of 10. Um, it's obviously rewatchable as I've seen it three times this year alone. Oh, and, I've seen um, it a million times. The, uh, and, um, I would suggest, I mean, if, if you guys are, if, if any of the listeners are fans of, you know this particular kind of movie that this is a buy if even if you haven't seen it. I mean, it's you'll, you'll be a, it'll be a safe bet to pick up. So oh yeah, oh yeah. So yeah, that's our review of um, the Yakuza, um, minus a little bit of uh, technical difficulty that you guys may or may not have noticed. And um, so uh, we're going to take another break and uh, we're going to come back and 
talk about quite a different American Idol type movie in, <laughs> in uh, No Holds Barred. So we'll be right back. No one would have believed in the first years of the 21st century that Hammer Films were being watched from an entertainment standpoint. No one could have dreamed that Amicus films were being scrutinized as someone with a microscope studies creatures that swarm and multiply in a drop of water. Few men even considered the possibility that this area of film still had anything to offer. And yet, across the gulf of space, minds immeasurably superior to our own regarded this podcast with envious eyes. And slowly and surely, they drew their plans against it. The Hamacus Podcast. Hammer and Amicus, and every tenuous link in between. Hamacus.com and iTunes. Cheers. All right. Poor Randy. We're back, yeah. I saw a really nice uh, little YouTube clip of Hulk Hogan talking about walking with, uh, hanging out on the beach with Randy. And, uh, yeah. When it, it was right after he died. So. Well, you know, in some ways, like we said before, we were, um, we've been talking about doing this, uh, this show with these two movies and, uh, you know, No Holds Barred for a long time. But it's almost apropos and almost like a simpatico that it's happening right now. Because Hulk Hogan's uh, ex-wife just came out this week, and uh, you know, with the startling revelation that he and uh, Brutus the Barber Beefcake were uh, engaging in some uh, homosexual love making. I was really afraid you were going there, and I instantly was imagining who was top and who was bottom. <laughs> Don't please. I mean, I, 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 we have to do this, and if my my erection is going to be hitting me in the bottom of the chin the whole thing, it's time. It's going to be hard for me to speak. Uh, and did they oil up and rip each other's shirts off? Oh yeah! You, oh oh hell yeah! <laughs> All right, hell yeah! So, and I guarantee you, I'm almost 100 percent positive that Hulk Hogan was the bottom. <laughs> oh. After watching this movie. I'm almost 100% lost. <laughs> All right, so, yeah, there are, our movie now, um, this is uh, Sammy's pick for us, and uh, I think it's fitting, um, is uh, Hulk Hogan's um, No Holds Barred from, from 1989. And um, this, is a, this is a doozy. This is, a, this, is a my, this is from my childhood. I think 
Zom was probably probably already fifty three or so when this yeah, came out. Fifty two um, and a half. Oh, cool. So and I was this is a doozy. I was only what, thirteen, fourteen years old when I saw this and the VHS tape got worn out almost. I was a, graduating from college when this came out. Are you were you really? Yeah. The um the um the VHS tape it was almost worn out as much as the um, topless German chick scene in a European Vacation. That, uh, from pausing that one, that one got stretched to the limit. And this tape got stretched from uh, me pausing Hulk Hogan doing um, grunty push-ups in a hotel. Yes. So. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. All right, so um, yeah, so '89 is no holds barred. Um, <laughs> Let's see a little synopsis here. Rip is the World Wrestling Federation champion. Uh, that's a term we're not allowed to use anymore. So we'll say World Wrestling Entertainment champion. Who is uh, speaking of which WWF? Have you ever seen that little um, fake uh, stencil that's online where somebody has basically mashed up um, the World World Wildlife Fund's logo w- with wrestling? Have you seen that? Uh-uh. It's. Uh, do you know their logo with the little panda walking? Yeah, the panda. Yeah. Well, in the in the w, there's one that says WWF, and instead of the panda walking, he is raising a, ch- a steel chair over his head. Nice. It's very funny. So, um, okay, Rip is the World Wrestling Federation. Sorry, World Wrestling Entertainment Champion, who is faithful to his fans and the network he wrestles for. Brell, the jockass calling new head of the World Television Network. Wants Rip to wrestle for his network. Rip refuses and goes back to his normal life. God, this fucking synopsis is long. So it's basically, uh, the World Rest- World Television Network, um, yeah, they they want um, they want Rip to wrestle for them, and he's happy where he is. And um, so the World Television Network finds um, Zeus, who uh, probably everybody that would ever listen to this show knows exactly who Zeus is. So yeah. I've, um, even, I've even heard uh, Tiny Lister. Actually, like, you know, going by Zeus on some things, like just using the name Zeus. Oh, totally. Yeah, in Friday, um, the movie Friday, he was credited as Zeus Tiny Lister, I think. Yeah. So that's an awesome nickname to pick up. Yeah. Um, so it stars Hogan and um, Joan Severance, who was yeah, so. quite yummy and probably should have been <sighs> naked if only this movie wasn't made for kids. Yeah. Um, Kurt Fuller, who I've seen recently in uh, Midnight in Paris. The- yeah, he played, played Colonel Clink in uh, the, uh, oh, God, the, H- the Hogan's Heroes uh, autofocus. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and then we mentioned Tommy Tiny Zeus Lister himself. And uh, in a funny appearance by uh, Mark Pellegrino, who uh, Tom and I were talking about. Talking about Lost earlier, he played a pretty uh, important role in that film, in that TV series. Which he's some... been he's been in in uh, quite a bit of stuff. I mean, yeah. he's had a pretty good career since this this thing. And he, uh, he was painful to watch <laughs> this, yeah. this one. He he, uh, he played uh, Dick Hickok in the uh, uh, Capote movie with uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. And like I said, I've seen him. I mean, he most of the time I usually see him now. He plays he plays heels just because he has that kind of assholeish look. Yeah. Yeah, the blonde, uh, handsome guy usually in these day in this day and age gets uh, gets cast as kind of a jerk, kind of like uh, Aaron Eckhart, I would say. The handsome yeah. blonde man usually is some kind of jerk, but so um, yeah, I think I'll uh, we'll talk about uh, No Holds Barred, and you know, Zom, feel free to always 
interject here because I'm sure this is not going to be nearly the same review as uh, <laughs> as um, as the Yakuza was earlier. So the um, <laughs> when- I, I have to say I was telling I was telling Loaf right off the bat uh, this movie is when you said you were we were going to review it. I had this reaction. I was like, oh, Jesus Christ. And, you know, I'm going to have to sit here and watch this fucking turd. And, uh, and I had the same reaction uh, when we finally decided that we were going to actually do it t- uh, today that, you know, oh, God, you know, I, 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 am I going to have to watch this again? But really, <laughs> honest to God, it's fucking funny and it's entertaining. I mean, I'm not saying this is the Yakuza, but um, – there's so much about this movie that is is just great for a piece of shit. Yeah. You know, it's it's this is a classic so bad it's good movie. <laughs> it's uh it's really bad. And people my age, I'm like I said last week mid 30s, probably remember this movie because it it became it came right at the I guess the tail end of the 80s. Well, obviously, uh, being 1989, but with the whole – wrestling just really exploded, I guess, the mid, like, 85 with WrestleMania 3. Or no, that was 87 with WrestleMania 3 with Andre Hogan and all that stuff. And this was uh, great timing on it. Um, so it really um, – I think it really caught a bunch of at least, you know, older, like 10 years old and up to, like, 15. That was a good yeah, age yeah. if you're – if a, a, a I guess boy was a wrestling fan would have been. Yeah. Uh, so um, there's a, there's a nice appearance at the beginning by uh, Mr. Bill Eady, who uh, Sam probably knows, but um, a superstar. He, he uh, yeah. Demolition acts. Yep. He looked kind of bizarre in this one. His hair was a little teased. And oh <laughs> fuck. It was teased. And he had some, it, it looked like he had some eyeliner on. <laughs> I don't know how he got that goddamn mask on when he was mass superstar over that fucking bushy head of hair. <laughs> Jesus. I, I was like, what the fuck is, I mean, you know, I guess that, you know, they're trying to create a character, you know, just for the movie, but yeah. fuck me. I, I, don't, uh, I don't remember the name that he went by, but really he, uh, it's, I, it was supposed to be a world championship match that the movie opens with. And it was really more of a squash match. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, well, uh, Go ahead. And Bill, Bill Eady was a uh, – this is just for, for my reference. Uh, Bill Eady was a West Virginia Mountaineer. He played for the Mountaineers uh, on the uh, – uh, he's from Pennsylvania. I think he's up around Pittsburgh. Uh, and he played for um, the Mountaineers uh, football team for a little bit. And okay. then he was also a, a track track uh, guy, uh, shot put and probably stuff like that since he's a big fucker. Yeah, I was going to say who probably – threw stuff didn't actually run over hurdles yeah. he, <laughs> he run through stuff. hurdles so he threw stuff <laughs> it's amazing you know how big a big of a dude he is and still it just oh, yeah. reminds you how huge hogan is yeah when when Edie looks kind of like a slob next to, <laughs> next uh-huh. to Hogan. yeah. hogan's looked way bigger yeah. yeah so um so yeah the with the film at the film goes on we, we kind of touched on it with the um in the synopsis but um right after this match you know Brell this uh TV executive decides he really – he needs to have um, Rip, as he's called in the movie, Hogan. Oh, was, my God. I, I don't know why they just didn't call him Hogan. They got the – they call him WWF. I don't know why they just didn't call him Hogan. Yeah. Um, but he you know has to have him, and um, he uh, – it seems like they're wanting this thing to catch on because Brill always says jockass. Yeah. Not yeah. jackass, but jockass. It seems like, like they wanted that one to, to catch on. And, um, and Brell is basically the evil 
Vince McMahon character that you saw like later on in wrestling. Right. He's just so he's I mean, he's just such a fucking bastard and so evil that it's, you know, somebody would have killed this guy. He's such a, <laughs> right. a jerk. And he's know. got he's got these little uh, assistants who are all like suck ups to him, round nosers, and uh, I, I think I think um, Brell drops a uh, a Bobby the Brain Heenan style sweat hog when they were having their board meeting. <laughs> <laughs> got to miss uh, Bobby the Brain. By the way, there's yeah. a great little Bobby the Brain uh, little documentary on Netflix Instant for anybody that um, is interested in that. So. Yeah, there's a there's the whole scene with uh, him trying to swoo, trying to woo Rip over, and Rip's of course is not interested, and they do the start the gag with the chair breaking and blah blah blah. But um, finally, I don't know. I, I guess it was about 15 minutes in, the movie starts to finally get ridiculous, and um, uh, it starts to get ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can <laughs> you can find you can probably find the uh, infamous Dookie scene on uh, on YouTube. <laughs> Dookie! There's this whole ridiculous scene where they decide uh, they're just going to... I, I don't even know what their plan was, but Braille is obviously pissed that H- Hogan was... Uh, or, sorry, Rip was not signing with him, and um, they were going to kidnap him, I guess? I don't know, but the, the whole scene with the car... Ass. Say that again? They were, I guess they were just going to... They were going to convince him that he should go with their company by by like uh, either murdering him or beating him half to death. Right. So uh, yeah, and Hogan kicking the door, and the the, to- the dents in the door reminded me of um, this old episode of The Incredible Hulk, which was one of my favorite yeah. fucking shows when I was a kid. But there was this one episode where the Hulk is put into this like iron dome to trap him, and he's punching. Maybe I'm making this up. I don't know. He's punching the dome, and there's dents forming on the outside. Yeah. Do you remember? Does, does this ring a bell at all? I mean, I think totally, you're just I totally, it up. Yeah, I probably am. It's probably uh, the peyote kind of thing. I'm so high. Um, <laughs> so yeah, the infamous Dookie scene that I'm sure everybody knows and loves, and um, it, it, it just had whoever wrote this. Um, I don't know what the fuck. I, 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 I'll be honest with you, and I think I actually heard this that they had like a writer write the the the, uh, the script, and when they were making the movie, that like McMahon and Hogan and those guys were there, and they were like, uh, let's just, you know, it, it, they wanted to make it just as cheesy and stupid, and they wanted it to be kind of stupid, funny. So they would say, uh, let's let's have him say this, let's have him say that. So they basically were writing it on the fly. I think I, I've heard the same thing that the writer was almost. I, I've even heard. The writer was let go, and that Vince and Hogan even rewrote the movie. Yeah, like we're like we're sitting in a hotel. I just imagine them sitting in a hotel room and um, naked, naked, of course. And Brutus Beefcake was probably there to wipe up the mess when they were done. Uh, And um, but so foul. (laughs) The uh, I guess it's got to be said. This movie has only ever been released on VHS, and I've often wondered if this is part of the reason why is you know the whole falling out with Vince and Hogan and. I don't know that they've been on the best of terms for the past, you know, 20 yeah. plus years. So I kind of wonder if, you know, maybe they co-own it or, or something that would, re- you know, prevent it from getting a yeah. DVD release because there's some, you know, there's some turds that get released on DVD and I don't want to, don't get me wrong. This movie's a turd, but it should have been released at a bare bones DVD at some point in the nineties. You would think, but. Oh my God. It should. I mean, honest to God. And I've said this, I said it already. It's so fucking, it's. If you can force yourself, if you've never seen it, and most people that have never seen it are going to be like, I am not watching that. I'm not interested in wrestling. I'm not interested in fucking Hulk Hogan. If you sit there and fucking watch this, because I had in my notes here, it says 12 minutes in, already looking at how much time is left. But, (laughs) but 
once it fucking takes off and you really you 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 like cast aside any delusions that this is going to be any that this is going to be like good or competent and you, right and you sit there and watch it for what it is you will fucking enjoy it um the if if not just for the fashion alone right jesus christ <laughs> okay I, that that said yeah which casual wear is better is it Rip's tiny hotel shorts. Oh my god! Or, or is it his his head to toe cloudy blue tie dye spandex outfit? Well, the the the, the, <laughs> the shorts, the shorts and the and the uh, the tank top that he has on when he's in the hotel room are pretty much almost the the sheer. Uh, reason that I said that he would be the bottom boy to Brutus Beefcake <laughs> because and and then them trying to make okay and it was kind of like almost like a Doris Day Rock Hudson kind of a scene with him and Joan Severance uh, and, um, so stereotypical you know so cliche they 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 are staying overnight but they screw up and they only give them one room and it's like <laughs> I hope they have double beds and of course there's one big bed and she's not you know she's kind of like you know, not wanting to get with Hogan or acting real coy and everything. And uh, Jesus fucking Christ, him trying to act sexy or flirting. First of all, his head is so fucking big. His, I, I don't know if it's from stuff that, right. you, that, that he, that he might have taken. Fruit that made his, yeah. That made his skull grow after he was like 40 years old. His head is so fucking big. It is, it is, grotesque and then he has on these tiny little goddamn silky like running shorts and they show him like bent over uh getting something out of his bag and she walks out of the bathroom and like looks at him bent over and i don't know if you're supposed to think that she's like ooh, you know but my god it was the most great it looked like a rhinoceros bent over He's so fucking disgusting. If she is so worried about being seen, why does she wear this ridiculous uh, nighttime outfit? Yeah. uh, On a business trip, she has like this like teddy almost. (laughs) And and the uh, like 80s, um, they they always said like the the French cut. Yes. uh, High on the hip. Yeah, it's it's so high up on the hip that I remember when girls wore thongs back then, when thongs first came out. They pulled him up so high. They pulled him up almost to their tits. And so then the back of the thong looked like it was like, you know, four feet long, like their ass crack was, was just fucking, you know, it's, it's, it's the fashion is funny. But I was going to say this movie is like a, would be like a microcosm or a time capsule for just the fashion. But nobody, I don't know anybody that walked around in fucking spandex, bright colored spandex pants and fucking cowboy boots he still does yes (laughs) yes and and then he had some kind of a fucking belt that he always wore that looked like almost like a corset that cinched up in the back it was that it was that wasn't it that he always wore a weightlifting belt whenever he yeah i said like hulkster on the back and he he was missing the fanny pack in this i have to say who the fuck (laughs) ever thought that and in one scene he takes her out to eat uh, they go on a business trip, and he goes, "Well, you can you uh, you've got everything all planned, brother. But I'm going to pick where we're going to eat because I know where there's a good place to eat." So they go to this fucking rib shack, and of course they have to have the stereotypical fat black waitress who just loves <laughs> loves Hulkster. You know, she loves Rip. And um, 
and and he takes her to this place, and it must be such a, a fucking shithole. It's like, okay, I'm going to take you to this place, and it's going to be violently robbed by two guys. But but back to the fashion, he he has the goddamn spandex on okay and that stupid fucking belt and shirt and the goddamn do-rag to cover up his giant fucking enormous pumpkin head but this time he has the cowboy boots on and you can see like the white pointy toed cowboy boots at the bottom but he has like leggings on over top of him to cover up the top part of the cowboy boot I'm like, what the fuck, dude? You are uh, Jesus Christ I, I like the Muzak version of uh, of all my rowdy friends yeah <laughs> He was and, fighting the robbers in that scene. And when she goes to pick him up, you know, she's she's working for Brell at first. And uh, she goes to pick him, uh, Hogan up in the limo, and they open the door. Well, here's this fucking giant 320-pound douche dressed like a fucking idiot. And, and then he's like, hey, hey. Uh, say hello to my brother Randy, and they both look like they're like twelve years old. The, the Hogan and and his brother, and they put their heads in there like, oh look, it's a hot girl. <laughs> and, and the way they act is so stupid. I mean, it's like I don't know if these guys because they grow up in wrestling, and they're that's all they're around is you know the wrestlers and everything. But my God, I, if that girl, that I'm sure if that would have been a real woman. I mean, I mean, like an actual person. Uh, as soon as he came out in that outfit, she'd probably be like, "Jesus, what's wrong with you? Fucking Christ!" I'll sleep in the hallway. But, but I will say this about Joan Severance, and uh, I'm surprised she didn't take off a little bit more than what she did, because um, the first time I ever saw her, I was a big fan of the uh, TV show Wise Guy with Ken Wall, mm-hmm. and um, the first season uh, was basically. Uh, uh, you know, told his story about how he was pretending to be. Uh, he got gets in the mafia and he's he's undercover. And it, uh, it was him and Ray uh, Ken Wall and Ray Sharkey was the uh, the guy that he becomes friends with. That's like the mafia Godfather guy. And that was really good. That really set the hook and caught me. But the second season was almost as good or better because it was about these two. Um, they they were uh, organized crime kind of people, but they were like just these really rich this really rich brother and sister, and the brother was Kevin Spacey, Mel Prophet, and his sister was Susan Prophet, which was Joan Severance. First time I saw her in anything, and I was like, holy fucking shit! Because if you have never seen her, she has these big blue eyes that are just um fucking amazing, and she has that little bit of just you know the the. The, the great teeth, mm-hmm. the little – just a little bit of an overbite, pouty lips and everything. And I shit myself for years. You know, She was like <laughs> the dream woman for quite a while. But then she kind of got off into the Billy Zane um, uh, made for um, made for uh, VHS, made for uh, DVD movies. Right. And uh, she was the Black Scorpion. I th- was it Black – yeah, Black Scorpion. Yeah, we've talked about this one. I, yeah. I, I'd never seen that. But that now that's a cult classic, uh, you know, where she plays the female superhero in like S and M gear, and uh, but then she kind of just you know kind of floated away because you know I, I guess the good looks she probably still looks good, but you know that if you're just going on looks, it, it, there's a, a plenty of them to to step up. But yeah, uh, I guess yeah check did. her I, out, I, the Playboy. I guess she never wanted. Yeah, there's a do a just Google image search. The um, I guess the um. She never wanted to do the uh, crazy mom role that almost older ladies always seem to yeah. uh, seem to get into. Not older, but you know, like you know, dudes get older. Well, we were talking about Mitchum earlier. Yeah. He gets older. He gets uh, you know, 
they work it into the story. Usually when a Hollywood actor, actress gets older, she becomes uh, the yeah. Diane Keaton mom, yeah. crazy mom character. So. And it's a, it's a shame because then, they, they, you know, like I've, I've spoken to a lot of people before this about this is, uh, you know, having Sean Connery who's 70 years old and his love interest is Catherine Zeta-Jones who at the time was 20. You know, it's like give me a fucking break. Give, you know, Jesus Christ. And that's one thing I liked about like Friends of Eddie Coyle. Uh, you know, his wife was an older lady just like him. Yep. You know, well, he's not – Mitchum wasn't an older lady, but, you know, he was older. And uh, – <laughs> but – the 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 stuff that Hogan wears in this movie, um, <laughs> I, I don't. It's it's weird because I think that, and I may, I I don't know if I would say, because knowing like about you know Pat Patterson and some of these guys, you know they said the the name Brutus Beefcake. He you know Pat Patterson was a openly gay uh, wrestler, mm-hmm. and then he became a booker for the WWF for years. Yeah. And he came up with Brutus beefcake because, uh, like beefcake was a, uh, was a gay magazine that he read and everything. So there was a lot of, you know, those undercurrents there. And I think some of these guys, I don't think they really even, they really realized how, how they looked Yeah, because they thought they were looking like, you know, really macho and cool. And if you look at it now, you're thinking, dude, you know, I could see you walking around like Fire Island or, you know, uh, the Castro <laughs> District. And, 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 and to be honest with you, I don't even think that some of the outfits they were wearing would get over there. Maybe, <laughs> maybe in like the gay districts and, in, 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 you know, the disco era, maybe. But they just look so fucking horrible. Well, back to the back to the uh, the fashion thing, and back to oh. the, back to the film itself. Yeah. Uh, Stan uh, Stan Hansen rocks some uh, some awesome attire in this one. Yes, um, belly shirt. Possibly, possibly my favorite part of the whole movie is Stan Hansen and his ape shitness. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There is yeah. so much awesome wrapped up into a uh, a rolled up jogging shorts and a belly shirt right there. He yeah. is sweaty. He he drinks in the ring, which is pretty remarkable. Straight but, out of a keg. <laughs> so good. Oh, he's such a uh, he, he's not a very good actor, but and, and tobacco spit everywhere. <laughs> so I'm so glad to have seen him in there. I swear he he's like as far as wrestlers go. If you guys don't know him, um, he's pretty much the opposite of Hulk Hogan. Uh, he's 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 a big dude, so they got they both got tall going for them. But Stan Hansen has never been a. Um, a svelte character, if you will. He uh, <laughs> he's proud of his belly. Um, he's kind of a slob, which which I'm okay with. I like that. Uh, he um, I'm kind of a slob too. So um, <laughs> hey, I, me too. Of, of the two, I prefer I prefer Hanson. I think he's a better wrestler. He's a better technical wrestler, especially for being the size and shape that he is. Oh yeah. Um, but in the movie, he's just I mean, he's hammered. He's drooling tobacco everywhere. Um, he makes a ridiculous joke about teeny weenies, <laughs> yeah. like that. <laughs> uh, and, and, and his sister with the rotten teeth, teeny weeny. He's like, "Hey, look at the teeny weenies!" And she's like, "Teeny weeny, teeny weeny." <laughs> uh, so, so oh. ba- basically, Hanson is—he's one of the um, uh, the guys that the um, in, the executives for the TV channel are looking at to be like, I guess, the competitor to Rip. They're going to take Rip down since they can't—they can't. They can't uh, they can't get them to join them. Their their crew. They're gonna find somebody in this, I guess, tough guy contest in order to um, challenge Rip. 
and finally take his title and get all the ratings and and all that kind of stuff that actually wrestling actually became by the nineties the ratings yeah, yeah. battle. But um, there's some awesome industrial arena fights. Um, oh my god! You get the uh, you know that's straight out of the Gentleman's Guide Encyclopedia right there. These dudes fight with a one dude fights with a giant wrench and there's just yes, like, what flames shooting everywhere. OSHA is just having a nightmare. Shit S- pants and. <laughs> Welding, sparks everywhere. I looked today, and I think it looked almost like there was a big, like, locomotive, like a train or something they were taking. I don't know. The, I have no yeah, idea. The most ridiculous fighting arena of all time. Um, the um, I got to ask this, too. Um, who has a better unibrow, Zeus or Frida Kahlo, Selma Hayek's Frida Kahlo? <laughs> Well, Zeus, Zeus is uh, hers looked uh, at least more uh, real, realistic, and it. And, but I, I was going to say, and it had a nice giant pair of boobs underneath of it. But yeah, I was going to say, who has tiny better listeners did too? Yeah, his his were pretty big. Too. Uh, that's but he not funny. only had the unibrow, but it, it 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 was like I don't know if he had a scar on one side. So one uh, over the like one eye, it was almost like cut off. Yeah. So, so it like was like a check mark. A three quarter unibrow that starts yeah. in the middle of one eyeball and goes across. So. Oh, and and you know no, nothing against there. There was a couple. Of, well, there, let's just say there was a lot of uh, politically incorrect things in this, like the little person in uh, that was hanging uh, in a cage. Uh, that his only job was to throw like peanuts and stuff in the Jewish guys, uh, Larry Fines, uh, who was Brell's, uh, one of his he, lackeys. He, he, he had two stooges, and I'm, I'm, maybe I'm being politically incorrect, but if they weren't like stereotypical, like Jewish, uh, you know. Uh, lackeys or whatever the way they acted it was pretty pathetic uh and then there's this midget well uh, little person hanging from a cage and all they kept doing was dropping shit in in their beer um the guys i guess they added some kind of comic relief because brell was so over the top and um and and another you know another politically i guess you know politically incorrect thing is here's zeus and he's this big African American guy. Uh, he's basically portrayed as an animal. He yeah, doesn't. Yeah, he, yeah. he he never speaks a fucking word, and he just screams. He either screams, grunts, or snarls. Everything, and that's all. I mean, he says I think maybe a couple of words, but that's it. And I was like, oh my god, this is just fucking unbelievable. <laughs> they did the exact same thing with him when he actually had his failed run in the yeah. uh, in the WWF. And I remember I remember that happening. And like I said, I was the right age at the time, so I was very impressionable and and I was very caught up in wrestling and I remember the Saturday night uh Saturday night main event where Zeus made his appearance and he would not, he refused to let Hogan in the cage for this match and he he did the whole like head twist thing that he yeah. was known for, and yeah, they pretty much just did the 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 guy, the, the movie. You know, yeah. they they kind of even I think when they finally wrestled one on one because I think they had some tag team deals, they just basically did the exact same match. But really, every match Hogan was in was the same match. So yeah, you know. big boot leg drop. Big oh, boot leg for, drop. For, sorry, I forgot. Hulk up, punch punch, body slam, big boot leg drop. There you go. There we go. Yeah. There's the equation. The equation to success. Any re- any wrestling writers out there listening? Take note. All right. So, um, yeah. The uh, oh, and, and you know, in my in my um, innocence as a kid, I, the the way the way the rivalry is set up in this movie is exactly how I thought it actually happened. 
when I still thought wrestling was real. Uh, the, I, I really <laughs> thought the dudes had these whole backstories that just really hated each other and didn't actually just go out and have beers afterwards or what? stab each other with scissors or whatever happened with Arn Anderson and Sid. Yeah. The, yeah. um, the, yeah, but uh, that was real. Yes, <laughs> they, yes. Kill, they were drunk and tried to kill each other. <laughs> and and uh, 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 subsequently, uh, people got fired. Uh, Sid ended up, what he ended up going to the WWF, was it? Yeah. Yeah, he went to the WWF because they fired him. Yeah, his he had a weird, a weird... Uh, run there like he was a terrible wrestler and I, I i still have on vhs recorded my my dad used to have a friend who had a um basically a bootleg satellite dish he could get mm-hmm. just pay-per-views and stuff like that so my brother and i would always wait with bated breath when we'd send the vhs tape away with dad on friday and then like monday or tuesday it would come back with uh, the latest pay-per-view on it and i remember a war games with uh uh, who else? Who all was in the match? I, I, all I remember is uh, Flying Brian on one side and um, Sid. Sid, I guess Sid Justice. No, I guess he was vicious then. Yeah. On the other and Psycho he, Sid. He almost murdered a Flying Brian with a um, because he hit the top. They did the, the the top of the cage. It had a cage had a top on it, and yes, he was supposed to give him the power bomb. Well, they didn't <laughs> take into account that there they. That he couldn't do the move, so he did it anyway, and he really hurt him from what they said, you know, because he he uh, just basically dropped him on his head a few times. Oh, that was brutal, and the and the uh, what uh, that was one of my I guess when I start to realize I guess it was probably before that, but realized that wrestling was truly fake in that in that same match when Sid yell, obviously on camera yells up at Flying Brian who was posing for the audience get the figure four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So, anyway, the um, the God, I keep getting way off track. Um, there's a crazy artsy gym scene in this movie with uh, lots of slow mo and um, Zeus is like looking at Rip's face and totally like using it as inspiration to work out and and then the Rip says the worms aren't even. You're not even good enough for the worms. They had like a TV closed circuit thing <laughs> where Brell would just say the same things over and over. He, you're not even good enough for death. You're not even good enough for the worms. Again, if only if only uh, wrestling worked that way in real life. And um, <laughs> I'll only say one more thing. The um, There's a part in the final ultimate match. And sorry if that's a spoiler. Yes, <laughs> Zeus and Hogan fight in a big final match. And they actually, speaking of back to TNA, fight in that that hexagonal type ring or was it an octagon in this one it was an octagon oh okay okay in yeah. the in the one of the shittiest looking tv studios ever which they must have not been able to pay extras very much because yeah. they had this they had tiny about, little like, studio 100 people in there ah yeah it's supposed to be like the greatest match of all time and they're at a they're at like tbs's old mid-atlantic studios where it was <laughs> obvious you could if the lights came on you'd see the walls yeah the um but the, there's a really funny line where uh, when Hogan, of course, just like in Wrestling World, is getting beat down and um, getting ready to come back. And his brother, who is in a – well, I won't say that. His brother yells to him, come on, Rip, try. Yeah, try. <laughs> try. Just, just fucking try, you mother. It's so uh, fucking bad. Uh, and, and he would look up. It, like and he would be a half uh, out of it, and his eyes, his vision would be all blurry, and he'd see his b- stupid ass kid brother, who I wanted to die, so I wanted him to get killed so bad, and he'd be like, 
Come on, Rip. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, fuck. Uh, so, yeah, poor Hogan getting his ass just beat down by this, I guess, animal since we've already put it out there. And <laughs> yeah. he just tells him to try. <laughs> like, what are you doing? You're just sitting there, you dummy. And I'm not sure how Zeus, like when he punched people, which person that he saw he punched at. Because that fucker, uh, I'm, I had to have been seeing double. Because his one eye goes all fucking somewhere else. Yeah, he's got the one of the worst like yeah. wall eyes of all time. Yeah, I think he, he's, he's looking at the bridge of his nose constantly with one eyeball. So, as Richard Pryor would say, he'd look at people and say, "Hey, pick that up!" And four or five fucking people would pick <laughs> up. <laughs> uh, so that's about all I have. Do you do you want to add anything yourself? Well, I had a couple of things. Okay, we saw. Um, the the uh, a couple of wrestlers uh, Joe LaDuke was at the beginning uh, and uh, Hanson ends up jumping in and jumping on him uh, I think at the time he had switched over to WWF and they gave him the name the Headbanger that was before oh. the, the Headbangers uh, but so he was in there and uh, Jeep Swenson was uh, the guy with the big wrench um, and he was a big Bruiser Brody he was a world class champ championship wrestling guy. Um, there was a part we we you know just to carry on the GGTMC and uh, girls on film tradition of rape. Uh, there was a part where uh, <laughs> some of Brill's men were going to uh, rape uh, Joan Severance. Oh, I totally and I forgot was, about this. Yeah, and I was sitting there and I was like, God, please come on, fucking Hogan, get a flat tire, you know, <laughs> oh. <laughs> way to save her, you know. So anyway, Hogan shows up on his Harley dressed like a fucking. Total douche with that outfit <laughs> that's goddamn cowboy boots. And one of the quotes I had written down was he, he uh, he's like basically running into these guys, knocking them over. And he runs into this one guy, and the guy's like on the front of his Harley, and he goes taking off. And then as he gets close to it, I don't know, it was, uh, it was a tree. And uh, he says, Harley and me, you in the tree. Oh. And then he goes over to, uh, to uh, Joan Severance, and he says, Sam. Are you okay? I hate it when you're hurt. <laughs> They've known each other for so long. Yeah. And and uh let's see. Hey, well the, the, uh what's his name? Um Rand, Randy. Randy's friend kind of I've seen him in some stuff too and I didn't look up who he was though, but he kind of looked like a young wings hauser to me. Uh factory welding, lots of sparks. Don't know what the fuck was going on there. We talked about that already. <laughs> uh and uh that is a factory that produces fire. when Hogan goes into the uh he he goes looking for he goes looking for Sam uh because she's been kidnapped by Brell. And he goes to the gym where Zeus had been training and they have it all set up just to fuck with his head. Mm-hmm. And as soon as he walks in, they're playing this real loud music on a stereo. And you would think that it was like a dog whistle or something, the way Hogan reacts. He's like, <laughs> oh, oh, and he just starts tearing stuff up. But I and, – and we mentioned this a little bit at the beginning because – and I, I could never figure this out why. Um, when Hogan he, – he proceeds to tear up this gym because you know he just keeps hearing Brell say – uh, you're not good enough for the worms. You're not, you know, good enough for death. And he tears up the speakers and he tears up the gym equipment and everything. But the whole time he's doing it, he, he goes, <laughs> like he, he, I don't know if it's some kind of breathing technique when you weigh 320 and you, your, your heart is like ready to burst. 
<laughs> I guess he's got to he's got to somehow speed up that uh, the oxygen supply to his muscles. Something I don't know. Um, when something bad happens to Randy, his his brother, who um, I know he was supposed to be his brother, but I mean, it was like I don't know. It just there there was just. Oh, Hogan, the, Hogan looks like he's 18, 19 years older than, than, uh, yes, than yes. And so, so, I mean, it, they could have easily made it like his, his, um, boy toy or whatever. Nephew, even. It could have been nephew. John Michaels. Um, uh, he, Hogan has a big dramatic scene where he cries because, oh. because and I mean, it's a, <laughs> I was like, holy fucking shit. Oh. Jesus. This is just so bad. Uh, doesn't feel right without Randy here. And then I put underneath that Hogan can't act worth shit. Uh, let's see. Yeah. The, the, the training sequence, the a la Rocky four showing like uh, Zeus just breaking shit and punching off and being sweaty, glistening. And then like Hogan lifting his brother. And yeah. <laughs> it wasn't quite the same as Rocky four with this sly up in the mountains and uh, running through snow and punching logs. But um, you know, like I said, it, this is um, this is not a um, it's not a, a great uh, movie. But um, if you like to have fun, this is a movie that is I watched it by myself and I laughed my ass off. Yeah, yeah. And it's some of the shit so cheesy and the the the, uh, the outfits Hogan wears are so bad. Um, but if I can imagine, if you watch this with a bunch of friends, you, you'll have a good time, especially if you're drunk. Oh, definitely, definitely. You know. So uh, yeah, I guess we'll we'll get into some scores here. Um, like uh, like I said, this is a this was a classic for me. Um, it is not a good movie, <laughs> and I, I warn you that wrestling fans are are going to enjoy it most likely more than somebody going in cold. But yeah. with a certain certain setting, certain group of people, I think anybody could get some enjoyment out of this with the so bad it's good kind of kind of laughs um i give the movie for me personally it's a six out of ten mm-hmm. um probably technically speaking it's a two but um i got the nostalgia going um there's some there's 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 some parts that are still kind of slow with the whole family drama and all that stuff but it still it stays pretty pacey it stays actiony it stays silly and it's um yeah six out of ten for me well, that's it's uh, it's one of those deals where like okay, if I'm comparing this to uh, the Yakuza, yeah, it'd be like a a one or a two. But uh, compare, I mean, just just comparing it on its own merits and everything, I can't say I didn't have a good time watching it. And this and today was the second time I've watched it, and um, I I probably. I'd give it about a six because, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it is entertaining. Joan Severance is hot. Just even watch her. I, th- I, I just am enamored with her good looks. Uh, there's so much stuff there to make fun of. If you want material just for shit to, and a movie that you can sit and watch and just make fun of the entire time you're watching it, you'll, you'll like this. Um, and watch, I never watch it just for the dookie scene. What's that? Oh yeah, the the whole uh, the Hogan. What's that smell? You know, when he's trying to be like mean and intimidating, it's weird because he he 
he sounds like a dog eating like fucking uh, uh, pork chops or something. And, and when he when he hulks up and his face is all sweaty, like the fat on his face like quivers. Yeah, and he I was chubby. Thought, he was yeah. chubby before he went to WCW. Yeah, he had to have been about 320 there. But he's like <laughs> – and I'm like, uh, you know, you don't sound mean. You sound like a fucking – <laughs> Idiot. Uh, sorry, I, I totally interrupted your score there. So, you, yeah, six out of ten for me. <laughs> yeah, that sounds six out of ten. All uh, right. So, yeah. Now, now as far as um, would you advise people to buy this? Uh, it, if, most likely you can get this cheap because it is on VHS. Again, and you can get this other means. Um, yeah, you can get it real cheap. If you know uh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, I mean, don't cheap. don't pay a lot for it, but – yeah, I mean, if you if you guys have a a VCR and you want to see something silly, I bet you can find this VHS for cheap. Definitely a uh, worth a buy if you uh, if you like some junky wrestling flicks. So rip them. So yeah, that's our review of No Holds Barred. We'll be back. We actually got some feedback. One is kind of old, and one is kind of pretty brand spanking new. So we'll oh be right my. back with a couple of feedback, then we'll wrap things up. We'll be right back. <laughs> Do you find yourself looking for a different type of genre podcast? Do you find yourself on the weekends wondering when you will find that one film that might change your life? Well, then maybe you should check out The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with your host Big Willie and the Samurai. Bringing class to the trash since 1977 and rocking the house. You can find The Gentleman at ggtmc.com. to the trash. Back from break, little little dead Kennedys there. Um, Zombie still with me? Yeah. All right. Am I? I think so. Um, so we got a couple little feedbacks here. Um, got to get to these really quick. We didn't get any emails, but we're not really expecting any because last week was just kind of a trial run. But uh, we got we got an oldie here from um, from Brian from Hamicus. Uh, Brian was kind enough to send us a uh, kind of a welcome to the world of podcasting um, voicemail back in June. So uh, <laughs> finally gonna finally gonna play this. So um, we'll listen to this. Or will we? Hang on one second. All right. Sorry about that. Now we're back. Hello there, Silver and Gold. I'm just uh, Brian here from Hamakis. I'm just uh, sending you a quick message here to welcome you to the wonderful world of podcasting where we all get to frolic and hold hands wearing our mankinis. 
Um, I'm sure you're in good hands there because you've you've, uh, you've already dipped your toe in the waters by guesting on the other show, so I'm sure you know exactly what you're doing. But um, you know, it's a, um, you'll be a, a welcome, a welcome, a welcome, a welcome, a welcome, a welcome addition to the uh, uh, to the waters. So that didn't go as well as planned, but <laughs> we'll all hold hands together. Happy days, trust. <laughs> All right, thanks, Brian. Um, yeah, the uh, Hammockus podcast. Um, the um, I'm actually going to be on there in a couple of weeks, and I, I know you've guest spotted on, be on there, there this times. coming week. Yeah, so on the 21st, I believe. So thanks, Brian, for the, uh, the gentlemen have been calling him Bryn lately. So Bryn, Bryn. So, um, but yeah, thanks for Bryn. that. And um, I guess we only have one more voicemail, which. It's pretty cool that we can even play this. This is this is actually what took us the longest to figure out. So, and uh, we'll play another one here. What's up, Silva and Gold Podcast? This is Jake McLarge, huge calling in for some feedback from episode zero. And I gotta say, you guys need to give me a little more of a notice whenever you guys are gonna start up a podcast. Because here I am in the morning, you know, groggily looking up websites and whatnot, and I'm, I'm on Facebook, and then I see that Mr. Loaf and Mr. Zom have started up a podcast, and the massive boner that I got ripped a gigantic <laughs> hole through my jeans, so now i got to get, get a whole new pair of jeans, because you dumbasses. <laughs> Just real quick, there's been a lot of boner talk since we started. When I posted this on Facebook, I think half the people talked about boners, and... Uh... We are boner-inducing. <laughs> we are boner-inducing. Okay, sorry about that. Hang on. So if you plan on doing this again sometime in the future, please break it to us a little more gently, at least for the sake of my jeans collection. i got to say, guys, first episode, fantastic stuff, great chemistry. I just wanted to welcome you all to the wonderful, wild wilderness of podcasting and everything that it entails with the, you know, the technical issues and the time that it takes up and everything. But uh, it looks like you guys are off to a rollicking good start. You guys are rocking and rolling. And I can't wait to hear more from you guys in the future. Uh, just wish you the best. Glad you guys are doing this. And I can't wait to see what else you got in store for us. Oh, and Mila jo- Jovovich is not <laughs> hot. She's just kind of creepy and weird to me. Out. <laughs> Boo! <laughs> later, Fuck <guys>. you! <laughs> All right, thanks, Jake. Uh, I'd actually listened to this in my car the other oh, day. Oh, my God. <laughs> so I knew that was coming. Somebody's going to open up a, a can of whoop-ass, baby. <laughs> oh, my um, God. And you know what? I was just going to be – I, I was just going to, you know, fuck. Okay. <laughs> uh, first of all, to Jake McLarge, uh what is it, small? Jake McLarge small? Mick small time, um, right? I was going to say <laughs> – we we could have given like people probably about a year in advance notice when we decided we were going to start the podcast. Right, right. Um, but um, until we finally got everything ironed out, we really didn't want to put it out there because um, yeah, it, it took a while, uh, lots of lots of issues. But on the second issue, motherfucker. Oh my god! I, you know now I'm gonna have to go and just fucking uh, let's just let's just move on because I mean you know I've, I'm telling you <laughs> that's, that's something that just does not need to be discussed in my presence, BB. I'm gonna follow in the in the neutral camp on on Mila. I don't I don't, <sighs> I don't dislike her, but I, I'm not a huge fan either. So 
<laughs> My stomach fucking hurts now. Oh, so, uh, look what you I'm did, upset dude. now. I mean, you know, honest to God, we were getting ready to get off here. I thought I'd get something to eat, sit and watch, relax, unwind, be happy that we completed this, you know, and everything. And now I'm just fucking just goddamn. <laughs> <laughs> cool. All right. Yeah, that well, was that was that was just wrong of you. <laughs> Well, that's our uh, our show. Little mini feedback session there. Maybe we'll have some more next week. We'll see. Um, this is episode one. We we don't uh, don't know exactly what we're covering next week yet. Uh, we haven't thought that far ahead. So, um, hopefully, we yeah. do get back next week. My, my schedule is um, a little weird right now. So, until that sorts out, it might be a little tough. But uh, we'll we'll be back with at least a couple more movies. And um, yeah. I guess you can uh, you can feedback us. Like we just listened to, our voicemail is 206-339-1600. You can send us emails at silvagoldpodcast at gmail.com. We don't have a Facebook group yet, but we are on iTunes, which is pretty great. Um, You can also find the the podcast on silvaandgold.com if you had not found it there already. Um, Zom, you got anything to add? Mm, Sounds uh, like it's a, uh, you know... It's another successful venture another into successful the world venture. of podcasting. Awesome. Well, um, I guess uh, for silver and gold, this is Loof. Well, Loof. Whoa. This is Loaf saying I'm Oot and Zom. <laughs> Zom saying Oot. We'll see you guys next time. Psst.